Hi, I'm Trenton Stander. Hi, I'm Tim Brown. And, and this is the Open Heart Cast. And we love. Welcome, guys, to this week's episode of the Open Heart Cast. This is a special episode called Sober Estona to a Sober. And what we're doing on this episode is just a fun little experiment where I get stoned and some stays sober. So that's why we're calling it Stoner to a Sober. <laughs> so we're just going to have a little talk and chat about things that we have been doing recently. And uh, yeah, so follow along with us. Tim, how's it going, buddy? Fucking hot as balls. It's crazy hot, man. I was so planning on that. Uh Working on some hammers today, but uh, ish boss. The heat, <clears throat> the heat is unreal when mm. when you're forging, and the heat is on. Oh man, that sucks. That's not cool. Yeah, I definitely don't enjoy it. <clears throat> so um, yeah. So you've been wanting to make a few hammers. Yeah, and I've been working on the kitchen knife for. Or working on the design for the kitchen half of Brooklyn that I'm making out of that piece of Damascus. Excellent, excellent. And then uh, we spent a bit of time, when was it? Yesterday. Yeah. Ye- yesterday evening, yeah. Well, no, yesterday during the day because it was yeah, hot as yeah, balls. Yeah, as well. during, during the day, during the day. Drawing up a bit of a collab. Yes, so Tim had made one of these, uh, these sort of Jason Knight style choppers. Very, yeah. very similar looking but different in a way mm. and i said to tim this 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 knife is it's a lovely design and we decided that we want to go ahead with this design and do a collaboration so you did the first design tim yeah i did the the first one um we did a bit of googling and we took the one knife that's on my uh fuck off ball or fuck ups because uh, I cracked it in heat treatment, but we took that one and we took uh, some inspiration from Jason Knight's work and we sort of I came up with something and then uh, Trenton do drew <laughs> I swear I'm the one that's stoned <laughs> Trenton drew the one uh, drew his rendition and then um, we sort of combined the two and then uh yeah, so so I I did my own rendition, which was just a bit broader, and yeah. uh, there were a few slight subtle differences, but big enough to to be two entirely different designs. Hmm. So then Tim took what we like from both drawings, and hmm. he put that into one solid drawing now, and that is shaded beautifully. Hmm. It looks like it's going to work out real well. So I'm I'm hmm. very excited. Yeah, we're still uh, deciding how we're going to get rid of it for cash. Whether we're going to do a, a, a raffle at the Brooklyn Knife Show or whether we're going to uh, do it as a straight sale. We haven't quite decided yet. I think a straight sale is cool in a way, but I also think that gathering information uh, from potential clients in the future would be... The, the way to go about it and that's why we were talking about selling tickets mm, yeah doing doing a raffle yeah um, 
And the idea behind the raffle is to um, sort of get some sort of mailing list going for the podcast and uh, get some better equipment so we don't sound like douchebags. Well, we sound like douchebags in any case. But at least we'll sound like good douchebags. Yeah. Good quality douchebags. If there's such a thing. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah. So we, we're thinking, we're not sure about how it's going to work quite yet, so we, we will get back to you with the details and so yeah. on. But uh, what we're thinking of doing is selling tickets to everybody who participates. Mm. And uh, depending on how we play this, we might do a second and third giveaway, which might be a, uh, a T-shirt and something else. T-shirt and a bottle opener or T-shirt. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, so... Those are things that we we thinking about. We've got a very very cool idea for this specific knife, yeah. Um, and we thinking of turning that into the T-shirt, and we're gonna call the knife the Jeffrey. The Jeffrey, yes. Because it looks mean as fuck, and when people ask us why did we call it the Jeffrey, you can just say to them, well, who'd be scared of a Jeffrey? Yeah, I mean, who would be scared of a Jeffrey? Yeah. <laughs> What's it got in it? Oh, it's got a little, mostly weed, but there's a little bit of cocaine. There's a bit of opium. Bit of opium bit of heroin. Other bits and pieces that are unidentifiable. And a bit of angel dust, I believe. Keep, Keep it, it a, traditional. Yeah, it's, it's like the metropolitan of drugs. <laughs> <laughs> that was hilarious, dude. Yeah. I had such a laugh, man. What's it take? Take take me to the Greek. Yeah, take me to the Greek with uh, Russell Brand. That's incredible. I've never watched that movie. I need to. I need to watch that. Yeah, I just showed uh, Trenton on YouTube the the clip from from the Jeffrey and Stroke the Furry Walls. That's so funny. <laughs> we should get a sticker, Stroke the Furry Walls. <laughs> when shit breaks in the workshop, Stroke <laughs> the Furry Walls. <laughs> We could sell a piece of fairy carpet with that sticker on the top. <laughs> Knife makers will buy it. Yeah. Knife makers will buy it. I'm telling you, it's fucking hilarious. I'm going to do that for my workshop. When I'm you- writing it down. <laughs> <laughs> and then we should also have stoner to sober um, <laughs> stickers as well. Get some cool artwork done behind it. Mm. I think that would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah, man. Create a little bit of a community behind this. Yeah. This is awesome. This is really cool. Yeah, that's that's the that's the nice thing about um, connecting with people, mm. uh, whether it's your client base or your your uh, fellow makers. Fellow makers. Yeah. You get an immense uh, knowledge base, but also a support structure. Mm. which is incredible yeah yeah no that support structure is, is really really cool it's incredibly important so because i mean everybody goes through times when you're struggling with your craft yeah and you just everything you touch turns to shit but the 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 key to getting that mm. is to be giving in yourself mm. um to others who need your help because that's important too and, and, and also to um, to not be a dick. Yeah, that's rule number four. I was going to say yeah. that relates to rule four. Mm. Yeah, oh, there's the roller. And um, yeah, so I mean, that's what I really appreciate. Mm. By the way, guys, this this uh, joint that I'm smoking right now is uh, called, I believe it's called uh, Mango Kush. Never heard of it before, so I I've never tried it, but. Um, 
yeah it's it's decent it's quite good quality and i've got a little baggie full of the stuff so um yeah we'll be trying this in weeks to come but it's good stuff it's good stuff it's got a it's got a different smell to the one uh, you smoked last night you know what the one the the thing with this is and the thing about the one last night because the one last night was was green quite powerful yeah, but it was green and it was, as well. Yeah, it was a lot greener than this. but well, maybe a bit uh, more moist. Yeah, possibly. But in any case, it tasted really shit. <laughs> it's a beautiful high, yeah. but it tasted shit. Like, I generally don't like the taste of weed. That's just me personally. That's why I roll a lot of blunts mm. instead of straight joints. But, um, yeah, this one is not too bad. In taste, mm. it's got a minty smell. Sound to it. like a, a weed connoisseur. Yeah, well, it's got it's got a, a, a almost a minty hint of mint to the smell. I suppose it does. Yeah, mm. it does. The the guys in the Western Cape, when you got to just before Spuja, they used yeah. to call that lion breath. <laughs> yes, it's because when you take a mouthful of that. Mm. It's intense, bro. And then you know the the little papers in the in the rolling paper, the, oh, the, the, the rolling, rolling boxes, the, the one right at the bottom that's mm. not actually rolling paper, but it's yeah. there. Oh, yeah, it's that, that, so that packaging material. Yes, yeah. Mm. They used to call that a spare tire. <laughs> <laughs> so when they like had nothing left, that, that, was, the, that was the last little one. And obviously... Um, Basically, any paper they could get hold of, they'd, yeah. they'd smoke it. Preferably newspaper. Grandpa papers work well. But you told me about this, and mm. I was like, "That that's a good idea. Mm. And, it, and it worked. Mm. It worked. It's not, not, I suppose it's not the best, but it's it definitely works. Better than magazine paper. Mm. <laughs> that's, that's, not, that's not funny. Oof, that is hectic. That is hectic. You, and you know how you learn this fucked up shit? Is by not having tobacco on sale in South Africa. Yeah, or papers. It's like crazy. That was mm. it was a difficult time for a smoker. Yeah, definitely. But uh, well, it was a difficult time for everybody. Um, alcoholics too. Yeah. Yeah, alcoholics are just quitters. <laughs> I don't want to quit. It's a real problem, man. Right. I think that, it is. Uh, you know, that it's, for a, it's for a legalized sad. substance, it's actually far more harmful than a lot of other shit. Mm. Um, it does more harm to the environment around the person in terms of family environments and, mm. and things like that. And with the alcohol abuse comes other forms of abuse. Sure. Absolutely. Not drug abuse, but like you know, child abuse, woman abuse, yeah, husband abuse in my case. And just violence in general. Yeah, violence in general, yeah. So I mean have I, you have, I, you, have I, you ever seen a, a violent raster? No, bro. No. <laughs> so chilled. They are extremely chilled and they can work like like you cannot believe. Mm. Dude, I've known about three guys in my lifetime who were rusters. One of them was a gardener. Yeah. Dude, you would smoke a joint. Ah, boss, that garden was done in no time. Mm. 
Right. He was he was incredible. Mm. And then another guy I used to work with him. We one of my first jobs when I got out of school was a um, loading up orders to go mm. to schools to drop off basically tuck shop stuff tuck, okay, at, yeah. at the schools. And um, uh, some of the stuff was very heavy because it was big things of coke and mm. four four packs of those mm. big things of coke. And um, yeah, I mean. It was crazy. So this guy could work like 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 a <clears throat> demon, bro. Mm. And he also had like a little little um, beanie, but mm. it was rolled up high. Yeah. And he kept it on his dreads the whole day. Yeah. <laughs> he just kept it there. Like, yeah, see, every stoner uh, uh, black guy that I've met can work like a machine. Yeah. And focused, eh? Yeah. Not fucking around. Yeah, they, they can't do... I don't think you can do intense mental calculations. Like he's doing. No, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm uh, saying that... Um, manual work. Manual work, for mm. sure. Because you zone that out mind, and you the just... mind-numbing work. Sure. Mm. Obviously, that's also dependent on the strain and the amount. And, um, on the, I think and, and the person, for person. sure. Yeah, because, yeah. as you said, some people shouldn't, yeah. shouldn't dabble. It doesn't work with you. I've done it. I've 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 made. Uh, I okay. So how many did I make? I made five in total, but I ground out um, part of the design of a cookery, mm. and then to get the rest of the profile in because of yeah. how it bends, I needed to heat up the mm. steel and, bend, and it. bend it, bend it down, and then get it flat and draw the rest of the profile in and do that. I did all of that. Mm. Bef- before I did that, I had a joint. Mm. And I started grafting. Yeah. And I cut out five blanks. Mm. I got them to the right angle, all mm. that jazz. I heat treated them all and tended them all. And I fucking uh, started grinding them. Mm. Dude. <sighs> All five. I finished three in that day. Jeepers, that's grafting. That that was grafting. And I'm not talking they were hand sanded and mm. handled. Mm. They but just did a, a, a paracord wrap on mm. this. But uh, I mean... It's a, it's a simple job. It's it's a, a, yeah. It's, so anyway, so Jeff gets back and he's like, Oh, sweet. Is, is this the one we started with when I was... I'm like, no, dude. Look there. Mm. He's like... Did you do all of this today? I'm like, yeah. So he's like, jeepers, I know how to get you to work. (laughs) Give you a joint and then you... It was crazy. Yeah. But that's the thing. Mm. We were talking about this the other day. Flow state Mm. is incredibly important. Yeah, and it's... I don't think people understand unless you've been, been in a flow state. And for me, you know... It's always difficult to get started, you know. Yeah. And uh, once you get started, you know, you get over the initial discomfort of having to do something, and then uh, you start getting into like a groove or a zone, yeah, where you know things are flowing. Yes. You know, you're not struggling along. You know, things are coming naturally. Yes. That like flow state, and when you're in that flow state, man, you need to take advantage. You have to take advantage. So. 
I sometimes even if if I want to like work hard, then I'll, I'll put my phone on silent because I've got a, a a smartwatch and a dumb person, so it'll vibrate if someone calls, and I can just glance and see who it is. Mm. Mm. Um, if if it looks important, I'll answer it. If it's mm. if it's <coughs> if it's unimportant, then uh, sorry, ne? Yeah, phone sorry. back again later. Yeah, because you know it. It's extremely frustrating to get disrupted in that flow state. Yeah, it is. You know, it, it's like um, because it's difficult to get there. Mm, and you know, sure. once you're out of it, then it's like mm. then you're half pissed off because you yeah. you know everything was working like yes, yes. And now you got now you got to start again, and then then you str- then you're in the struggle phase again. Mm, mm, mm. For sure, I think when you're in that flow stage, you mustn't be you mustn't be um distracted by instagram posts or mm. facebook or anything really mm. I, w- I would say i would go as far as saying like putting your phone on silent mm. or switching your phone off entirely if you get in that flow state just do it <coughs> yeah because but, uh, that's that's <coughs> that's when shit really gets done yeah and the thing is um if you've got if you worried about your instagram posts or your facebook posts you know, you get dragged into this flipping, mm. oh, one more, uh, let's just go a little bit, scroll, scroll, scroll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before you've looked, you've yeah. like, an hour's gone. Exactly. An hour and a half. Yeah. So, um, that comes a little bit to time management with neither of us, neither of us are very good at, but. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's but true. It's, you know, you, you want to capitalize on those flow state moments. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. I think it's extremely important especially as a, uh, you know, somebody who's self-employed and mm. is a, a knife maker or whatever it is that your, your craft is or your profession is. Like, if you're at home and you're working from home, you need to be extremely disciplined. Mm. You need to have a game plan for every day, what needs to be done and how you're going to accomplish it. What do you need somebody's help with to accomplish mm. that thing? Um yeah, that's. You know, for me, it's like I drop my wife important. off. Wife off English. English. I haven't had any secondhand effects. I'm sure of it. <laughs> but I drop my wife off in the morning. Yeah. And I try, which I suppose I, I suppose I should. I should put my garage on clothes on when I get up in the morning because if I come home and I have to go upstairs and then get dressed, then. Mm. Let's watch a little bit of YouTube. Yeah. And then you fall nah. asleep and you it's 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, so you waste half a day. Exactly. And then you feel so shit. Because mm. mm. you're like, you're hard on your, your, uh, your slave driver uh, person in your head jumps out and tells you how shit you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. I mean, like if I can get started at work at mm. like 7 o'clock or 6 o'clock mm. every day, that would be ideal. Like, I'm not a morning person at all, and I know that sounds like a stupid excuse, and I suppose it really is, but uh, I don't function very well in, mm. in the morning. Um, but, but, but at night, mm. I, I can work. Yeah, but then, then maybe what you should do is, um, in the morning when you get up, is focus on maybe doing a few easy things, like maybe pack a few tools away, just to get into yeah. the motion of things. Sure, um, sure. 
don't go straight into the taxing works. Absolutely. Um, I mean, this, when was it the other day? I came in and I had some things to finish with, and I, I was just not listening. I said, let me just try to do this one little thing. Uh, it's an easy task. Achieve that. Yeah. Tick it off the thing. Then you feel a little like you've, you've done at least something. Yeah. Well, that's a, it's a very small thing that you've done. Sure. But it's that sense of accomplishment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you can start building on that. Absolutely. Whereas if you put off, put off, put off, yeah. you know, three hours have gone by and you've actually done nothing. It's so, true. Even if it's a simple thing like just clean the table yes. or, um, you know, decide, maybe go through, if you've got a few knives to make or whatever, decide on which design you're going to do and then maybe get a piece of steel out, you know, yeah. sort of just get moving. Yeah, absolutely. There was somebody who said, when you start your day, do the thing that you hate most first. Mm. But that's a difficult thing to do sometimes. It is. It is. I, I don't know if I entirely agree with with that, but I suppose it depends how good you feel yeah. at that point. <clears throat> but then there's, there's also the, the uh, some of these business gurus or whatever, is they say you do the most difficult task first. Uh. Because when you start working, you're at your freshest, yeah. I suppose. Not everybody, I suppose. Yeah. But, um, if you wake up and you're feeling good, then you must do the most difficult task first. Sure. Which um, makes sense. Because then you get it away. Then the, the rest of the stuff, which is a bit easier, um, you can tackle it and, and then it flows a bit better. Yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. if you wake up and, you know, you, you're not feeling great um, mentally or something like that, then mm. you can start with something easy Yeah. just to get in motion because yes. it's that, that theory of things in motion tend to stay in motion. There we go. But there it's, we go. To, it's to get that motion started. Absolutely. So that's why I say start with just a simple task, yeah. maybe sweep the floor. Yeah, and, and, and that's the thing. That's 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 what progress is, is an accumulation of small tasks every day that make mm. you a better person, a mm. better, with better work ethic and things like that. That's... Mm. That's what it is, progress. I mean, the days... Slow, small steps. The days that I have to go into to the office, um, which suck balls. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, I come home, sometimes I'm home by like two or something. It's still, there's not enough time almost to start actually doing something constructive. Yeah. Or like... Let's start forging a hammer or a pair of tongs or a knife or whatever. Mm -hmm. there's, there's not enough time because then I still have to go pick up my wife at about five o'clock. For sure. So then what I would do is I would sit, do a little bit of drawing. Yeah. And then that night, then I'll tackle some hand sanding or hand toss because otherwise I get beaten if I switch machines on at night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, this is the thing. It's like if you do have free time as well and, it, mm. and look at it's also good to take a break away from it at times mm. it's good to separate yourself from it entirely mm. come at it with a little bit of fresher res uh, perspective on it mm. but um so i don't i don't think that you need to be doing something about knife making every single day all the time you can mm. there's nothing wrong with that but um I try to do at least three hours of some sort of productive research or practicing skills that can make me a better knife maker in time. Mm. 
I try and spend at least out three hours at different times of the day. Mm. Um, you know, one hour, one hour, one mm. hour at different times of the day, practicing certain things mm. that I know I need to improve, like my mm. grinding. Mm. So that's something that I've only very recently started implementing, mm. but it is helping for sure. Yeah, it does. I mean, it's that that repetition. Yeah. So and you get into a motion of doing them. Um, mm. eventually over time if you do it every single day mm. and um, and I mean that's one of the things I've been focusing on is my drawing skills yeah because I want to start doing a bit of hammer and chisel engraving mm. <clears throat> but in order to do that you need a pattern to work from sure so uh, when I can't work on machines or something then simply drawing flipping leaves yeah it's something to distract the mind gives yes. you time to do some deep thinking mm. and at the same time it's improving your your craft in, in a way yeah because i think i still believe unless you like Stuart, but for me personally if i can't draw it i can't make it mm. Mm. so even if you you design a knife that, that you never make yeah or you may never make it, it's practicing a skill and it helps to define your style Exactly, exactly, exactly. Because you're going to find things that you like. Mm. Um, you're going to find lots of things that you don't like. Mm. Um, but I think it's it's important to, whether it's designing just a guard or a full knife or just mm. handles or just blades mm. um, and and things like that, then it's, it's definitely going to improve your abilities over time. Mm. Yeah. I think it will. So, <clears throat> I mean, just drawing those leaves, for instance, and drawing different Viking patterns and things for that I want to do on axes and stuff. Yeah, it's practicing that fine motor skill of sketching. Mm. Um, and I mean, I think I can see the difference already. Mm. And it, and it all started because of Neil's cocking me out of drawing on graph paper. Yeah, yeah. Because if you, if you're drawing on graph paper, you try and stay in the lines. Sure. Sure. Whereas if you've got a blank piece of paper, yes. you've got to try and get that flow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and get yeah. your proportions right. Yeah, yeah. You can't avoid like following those lines to some degree. Mm. And um, so yeah, I think it it lets you it lets you work in a larger framework. Mm. Uh, like thinking a little bit outside the box. You're yeah. Not, you're not trying to make the handle exactly twenty five millimeters yes. wide there. Yes, yes, yes. Because it's got a flow. It's got a flow. Yeah. That's it. That's it. So yeah, I think I think it's really important that mm. just the drawing aspect of it, and then things like file work and grinding and mm. grinding specific things, trying mm. to practice grinding a plunge line that swoops in mm. at a nice radius and do it consistently on both sides and do it consistently a number of times, mm. and um, practicing like I don't know if you would call it a, a combination grind like. Yeah, where your angle your angle doesn't stay the same. Yeah. So we at like the heel of the knife it starts off maybe at a steep angle and then as it goes towards the tip, your 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 V gets flatter basically. Yes, 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 yeah. yes, yes. And that's not easy to do on a fifty wide belt or on a two inch belt. The the twenty five You've got to do it on the twenty five, yeah. 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 I mean especially with a big knife like that as well, the surface area yeah is is a big thing and if you've got a weak machine like mine mm. is a little bit under underpowered 
Um, mm. If you do that on a 25, on a, on a 50, mm. um, you're going to bog that machine down all the mm. time. So that would be a frustration. I'm seriously thinking about making a, a, a 25 platinum for my grinder. You must do it, dude. I, um, it's it's really awesome, especially for if you do, if you're grinding recurves. Mm. Recurves are very difficult on a wide wide belt because your curve. Yes. yes. You've actually half got to grind on an angle. Yes. Yes. So not the whole blade is in contact. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's true. So it's it's very difficult to to make that sort of grind. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I think I should maybe put a twenty five platen on there. Put a twenty five platen on yeah. for sure. Yeah, because also what I found is is um, when you're grinding big flats on on, on chef's knives, mm. especially in vegan steel. Mm. <clears throat> to get that consistent finish with a with a wide belt is difficult because you've got such a big surface area yeah. to try and clean up. Yes, and and, and, and the finer <clears throat> the grit goes, the mm. more rock you get in mm. your arms and mm. things like that. Look, I'm not saying everybody has that problem, but I mm. do personally. Mm. So I think on a 25, as long as you keep it mm. straight, mm. Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's a great idea. I mean, mm. I ground that uh, chef's knife I did for Grant mm. on a 25. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it shows. It's horribly skewed. Ah, <laughs> Just kidding, boss. <laughs> boss uh, yeah. No, but mm. it was a nice blade. Mm. Um, I was proud of that one. Mm. But I want to make the next one even better. Mm. Well, that's a good thing. Yeah. It, um, there, there was a lot that I just pushed through on that, and mm. I learned a lot from it. Mm. Uh, Jack still did help me, but not as much as last time, which mm. is an improvement. So I'm excited for the next one as well as uh, I want to make at least, at the very least, two knives for Brooklyn Knife Show. No, two two chef's knives for Brooklyn Knife Show. I was going to say two knives. No, no, no I'm going to have uh, at very minimum six, I think. Mm. Well, I've got <coughs> two finished. And I've got one, two, three, four blades that are hardened. Two have been hand sanded. One has been finished ground. Needs to be hand sanded. The dagger, I'm waiting for a hollow wheel. Yeah. 75 more. Yeah. It's been flat ground, but uh-huh. I want to I want to put a hollow on it. Sure. Uh, okay. And then I still have to figure out the guard and all that other shit. Yeah. Uh, but I think I'm going to go to my original design, which has got that. Uh, where are you? Where are you? I think it's filed on a different. Oh, there we go. Oh wow! I want to do yeah. that. That um, wrapped handle. That's that's <coughs> going to be incredible. And then what I'm going to do as well is I'm going to surprise you. <laughs> okay. Watch this space. That's that's. It's going to be something different. It'll be something different. Yeah. Um, In the in the way it's constructed. I'm looking Um, forward to that. But yeah, uh, I'm gonna just get my arse into gear and do it. Mm. Um, I think I'm gonna make a raw time guard for that one because I got some more raw time. From where? Hey, Melanie. Hey, boss. No, 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 no. (laughs) You you doing some dodgy deals here? Always. That's. It's over there. I'll show you after we, we finished recording. Yeah. Um, now I, f- I found I, a. Co- I, 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 want, I want some of this shit. Where do I get it? 
you got to keep your eyes peeled. There was a guy on 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 one of the Facebook groups. He just posted now he's got some wrought iron, and I said, um, I'll take some, thank you. But he only had like two or three pieces, and I think I got the biggest piece. Nice. Because I got to compensate more, you see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, but that's awesome, dude. I mm. want to, I want to play with that shit. It's it's different forging. It's very soft. But yeah. the thing is, with raw time, you have to work it at forge holding temperatures. Really? Okay. Yeah. Otherwise, because it's grainy, uh, yeah. or it, it's got like a wood grain to it. Okay. Um, it can start cracking and splitting at lower temperatures. Oh wow! Look, you can still planish and and finish forge, but yeah. if you want to move move it, you have to yeah. do it at forge welding temperatures. Wow. Mm. Okay. And I'm going to use that for that that other bow I drew. Yes. Uh, yes. I'm going to have. Uh, I've decided I want O1 as the core. Mm. I've got a piece of O1 tool steel, mm -hmm. and I'm going to put uh, raw iron on the sides. I'm going to do raw iron furniture. Lovely. Mm. Lovely. I think that'll work out nice. What do you mean you think? Of course it'll work out nice because I'm making it. Of course it will. Of course it will. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've, we've been talking about, um, as we said earlier, this um, what collaboration life that we're mm. working on at the moment. And uh, we, we're still talking about it, but we're kind of thinking more toward the, for the handle material, we're kind of thinking more toward... Um. Uh, what's what's the wood you mentioned, bro? I can't remember. Uh, African now. black wood. African black wood. Or chikati, yes. but it must be the dark chikati. Yes. But it's got. A, oh, it must be black. Chikati is nice. Hmm. It is but nice. Chikati, you get in different shades, so you get it from like black to like a, a dark brown with okay. grain structure. But I want I want that front piece. I want it black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The front piece for sure. Hmm. And then we were thinking of the way the way that we've hit uh, set the handle up or mm. Tim set the handle up is that there's going to be a slight sort of facet running down mm. toward that little kick yeah. at the bottom yeah the, the fishtail type fishtail type kick yeah, yeah. so <clears throat> the point is we want to look at a combination yeah and we want to yeah the point is the combination mm. so that that is that is going to be good so we're thinking for the bottom section giraffe bone mm. the only thing is with the giraffe bone if you want to sculpt it uh, it might lose the the texture but that true. surface texture true, true, true. or ivory yeah but i don't i don't have elephant in my bed yeah right? yeah yeah or maybe we must look for a nice piece of wild olive. I've got sneeze wood as well. Got nice flames in it. It could be worth looking into for sure. Yeah, when we when he finished recording, I'm gonna show Trenton yeah. some some knives of a guy that I follow, and he's got a nice. Okay, it's a kitchen knife, but it's got also like a fishtail handle at the back. Yeah. But he's got a, a dark, like African blackwood or eb uh, ebony or chikati in the front. And then he's got a, a lighter wood. It's got nice flares in it or nice um, flames and uh, what's that stuff? Grain. Mm. Grain to it. And it gives a nice contrast. Lovely. Mm. Let's check that out. Dude. Yeah, let me see. No, 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 not yeah. now. But, not um, now. 
I mean, mm. like that. That sounds awesome. Mm. That sounds really awesome. But um, yeah, it's exciting because I've never really built anything like that mm. right before. I mean, I've, I've done the cookeries and stuff, mm. but um, I've never quite done something as elegant as that mm. um, in a chopping knife, mm. you know, or a chopper. I think uh, we're gonna clay it. I think we must try and clay it. It'll it'll bring out a bit of difference. It won't be a homon, but you'll see the difference in the, the steel structure between the Martin site and the perlite. In the etch. Yeah, when you etch it. So it'll be you won't have a, a distinct line like in a homon. Yeah. But the 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 softer steel would be lighter and the the um Hard steel would, would be yes, darker. darker. Yeah, yeah. But I'm thinking for that, it might be best to, to do it at jack, to harden it at jack. Yeah, absolutely. We can do that. Yeah. We can do that. So we'll, we'll, I think we, we must forge the blade out, hey? Yeah. So we're going to forge the blade out. Then I think we might do some grinding before the heat. Yeah. Uh, we'll do basically the profile, mm. get the profile right. Um, shape the handle. Mm. I don't think we should taper it before hardening because I think we must leave the handle sort of soft. Sure. Uh, we can taper it afterwards. But then just cleaning up the, the, the bevels because we're going to have to forge some of the bevel in mm. because of the width in sections. Yeah. Um, just clean it up to take the scale off, mm. basically. Yeah. And then um, then harden it. Mm. And then the first thing we do after we hardening it is is grind the fillers. Yeah, yeah. Because just careful with your hands in front of the oh, yeah. face for the mic there. Um, Mike, where's Mike? I can't <laughs> see him. <here. laughs> so um, yeah, then do the fuller because what yeah. happens sometimes when you when you're starting the fuller, yeah, or when you're roughing it in, sure, it can hop out that groove sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And you don't want to do that after you grind your flats because sure. then you get a you you. You don't get a sharp corner. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. So when I do fullers, I normally grind the fullers first. I sometimes even grind them before heat treat. Mm. But the problem with doing that is um, <clears throat> you can uh, you can open yourself up to warping because if your fullers aren't exactly the same, you've got different stresses when the thing cools off, and especially because we're claying it. I think it'll be better just to um, grind it after you've hardened. Yeah, yeah, okay. Because you know you're changing the the. It's not one like slab of steel. No, sure. now you've got grooves in. Yeah. And if the groove, because yeah. we only I would would have only roughed it in, but because the the grooves not be exactly aligned. Yeah. When it hardens, it'll pull one way or the other. Sure, that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's just something that we're going to have to be careful of, I suppose. Mm. Um, so let's not do it that way. Mm. Yeah. I think we just clean up the edges yeah. and uh, um, then harden it. Mm. And then after we've hardened it, we can do the fuller first. Yeah. Then do the flat grind. Yeah. Well, it's going to be a combination because of the, the width getting larger towards the point. Sure. So it'll be a combination of flats mm. and then the false edge will grind last sure because we also want that crisp edge uh, where the where the false edge runs up into the fuller 
Yeah. With a with a meat like yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. No, that's gonna look good. Um yeah, so it's 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 an exciting project for sure and we we're definitely looking forward to it. Mm. It's gonna be great. Um There's a lot of things I want to play with at the moment, but I've got to learn to take my time. <laughs> you know, the, the thing is that there is so much to learn. Yeah. Um, you you ought to sort of got to hold yourself back sometimes yeah. because you need to to get good at everything all at once is not possible. Sure. Unless you're Niels, but I mean, he's just not human. No, no not, not even Niels. The thing is, he worked his balls off to get where he is now. Mm. So that, and he, that's and just he a testament to to his um, work ethic, work ethic, and his ambition. If you want it enough, you will make it work. Yeah, and the thing is, he he um, he didn't try and master everything at once. He did. Mm. He broke it down into specific aspects, and then um, he worked on each specific aspect until he got good at it. And the thing is, as well, I think with Niels is that. He, he takes information and reinterprets it to the way he understands it, to make it easier to remember and things like that. Mm. And he's, he's often got little tips of why he calls things certain things because mm. of, you know, that's how his brain works. Mm. And um, that's the thing as well. You've got to, and you've got to delve into these topics regularly. Mm. It's if, it's, you, it's if you want to learn something interesting about about knives or knife design or something, just go have a look at Niels's Pinterest. Okay. Yes, yes. Man, there is a wealth of information, but it's 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 broken down into different uh, like daggers and swords and yeah. guards and handles and yeah, it's an education for sure. It's an education, and I mean a lot of this, almost all the. All his designs for his daggers come from sort of historical references. Yeah. So, which I also respect for sure. Um, okay, it's not an exact copy of something historical, but mm. like the guard would be the same period as the pommel, but it may be from two different knives. Sure. If that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Mm. But um, but that's irrelevant. I th- mm. I think uh, I think that. For what a dagger is, in my opinion, is it's a mantelpiece. Yeah. I don't mean to be um, insulting anybody. It's a fucking beautiful mantelpiece. Mm. But I, I don't think it's practical for today for what it was intended as as a weapon many, many years ago. It was, only, yeah, made, for, for, it was only made for one thing, really. That's yeah. to stab someone. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, mm. if you're into that shit, like, yeah, sure. First of all, don't kill anybody. Yeah. Like, do it on cadavers at least. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, um, yeah, I mean, but there's lots of reasons why you would collect them. Like, they're beautiful. They're just just beautiful and they're inspirational Mm. to look at and they're beautiful to hold. But you're not going to carry it on your hip when you go into the bush. Well, I, I think there would be some guys who would. Yeah, but they're mad. But, but, you know... It's just like I would understand why you would want to carry it because it just feels awesome. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like there's no reason to. It's yeah. not a utility knife. 
It's not mm. a utility knife. No, it's, you're not going to do some fine wood carving with it. Yeah, look, it's it's got a very specific job, mm. and um, we all know that not one like one knife can do many things, mm. but it can't do any one of those things very well. It's like that video I showed you of Jason Knight designing designing what the fuck. Designing a, a, a chopper. Yeah. And you're like, he did everything that is wrong first. He yeah. Said, so now you want a hammer on the end, you want this, and you want finger grooves, and you want a choil here where you put your finger on that's only going to mean you're going to cut your finger. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I like, personally, I like to, I'm not saying I don't want to make a dagger. I, I would love to make daggers in the future, mm. and I probably will. Not probably, I will. But the thing is, I also really like making beautiful practical things. Mm. Um, like something like a hunter. I know mm. Neil says it's not a hunter because you don't hunt bucks with buck with knives. Mm. But, you know, traditionally it's called a hunter. hunter. Right? Yeah, hunter or hunter. So, yeah. mm. But Niels is also just full of shit. So. Mm. <laughs> He's going to give me cock for that one. Yeah. Anyway, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a utilitarian type knife. Mm. You know, and it's it's the type of knife that you would use as an EDC. Yeah. Um, I've made quite a few of them, but I'm sort of on my path now of moving. I don't really want to make them. Sure. Um, there's one or two people I'll make them for, um, but I want to start making more Bowie's. More glucose, more daggers, and more kitchen knives. That's that's where I want to focus. Sure. Um, because those are the knives I enjoy making. Sure. Because it's it's I think it's got a more creative or artistic side to it. Mm. It's bearing in mind that it's probably okay, except for the kitchen knives. But like the Bowies and and uh, what did I say? Uh, and Bowies and daggers are more of a, a showpiece than a mm. an EDC, especially the Bowies I want to make. I right. suppose that's the right word for it as a showpiece. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I want to make like you know, smallish Bowies, like twelve inches or so. Yeah. You know, like mm. a, a small Bowie for Stuart. <laughs> yeah. 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 He makes big Bowies, man. Mm. He makes beautiful little Pucos, though. Yeah. Oh my God, bro. I've been watching some of these videos, and mm. dude, that guy's a wealth of knowledge as well as a skillful man. What is that saying? A man skilled at his craft will stand before kings. Yeah. And that comes from the Bible. Um, mm. So, it's it's the truth. I mean, obviously, you've got to work hard to, to get not only mm. to the skill level, but to expose yourself in a way. Mm. You know, it takes time to develop a name. Mm-hmm. But once you're there, yeah, and, you, and you're, you're there. Like my idea for my my pukos is, it's a user, it's a uh, ED, or not, I wouldn't say EDC, but it's a usable it's, knife. It's it's a it's a bushcrafting knife. Traditionally, mm. it was used by the Sami mm. for uh, for crafting. Mm. If I'm not mistaken, that's that was the primary use of. It was a everyday knife that they carried, yeah. but they also used to carry bigger knives. Yeah, I mean. For breaking down big coxes, you're not going to use a puka, but for maybe skinning, you'd, you'd do it. Yeah, for sure. But for breaking down, you know, quartering I, it and things, you'd use a bigger knife or yeah, a saw or yeah. an axe. Or, I don't 
I don't know. Like, I've skinned animals, but mm. I've, I haven't done it enough to figure out exactly what it is that I like. I, I know what I lean towards, mm. but I don't. I haven't had enough experience to say this is why I don't like that. And I have my theories. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, I don't know if an, I would describe a traditional puko as more of a crafting knife. Mm. You know, cutting out uh, birch bark uh, mm. from trees to make containers and things like that. Mm. I would think that that would be more of a uh, bush crafting knife. Mm. It's like, it's almost like a pocket knife, except it's not, but it's. I think because they, you know, if they went hunting, they would have a puko for doing small little tasks because you don't want to use a big knife. But I would have thought they would probably use the bigger knives and the, the axes to break down the carcasses. Mm. They might use the pukos for skinning because it's got a very flippant fine edge. Sure. So, but also on skinning, you don't really do a lot of cutting. You're just you can, separating the skin from the... If you do it fresh, mm-hmm. you can you can basically what they call like fist that meat off yeah that that skin off mm. so you just or i think it's called fist rolling mm. but this you obviously have to make your initial cuts and, and mm. you mm. want absolutely uh, you want a very sharp very keen edge for that and preferably a small blade yes because you're not cutting through bone you, you're yeah. trying to make precision cuts sure um Look, you could do it as a cookery, if I suppose, if you if you wanted to. But I, I prefer a smaller knife yeah. for skinning. I found myself using smaller knives for skinning. Mm. And you know what's very good for for um, hunting and that type of skinning is is the I think it's called a nesmuk. 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 Yeah. 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 That is the ideal knife for hunting. Yeah. Really, because it's a nice. It's not a. It's a thin blade, but it's quite a wide blade. But it's a broad blade, yeah. But it's very good for, for skinning. For sure. Um, and that's... Nesmuk was... Uh, some Somewhere in the 1800s. Mm. And um, I can't remember all the history behind him, but he was one of the guys who spends a lot of time out in the bush. I think it may have had something to do with the fur trade at that point. Probably because the, a lot of knives used in the fur trade in America were, were Nesmuk style. And the horse capot? No, no. You don't know the capot? No. Okay. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think there's like a blade style out there mm. that's called a capot. Um, so he was also like into mm. the fur trade and things like Nesmuk, um, uh, what's the other one? Oh, man. I'm going to be bothered by this because I can't remember his name right now. You're pulling amps on those thinking questions. I know, right? It's <laughs> crazy. This weed is, is definitely hitting me, but it's good. It's a, it's a good buzz. It's a good buzz, for sure. Hmm. What's the episode of this podcast? is brought to you by Stoner to a Sober. <laughs> Pro- <laughs> thought-provoking. Yeah. Th- thought-provoking conversation. Remember mango kush. Mango kush. Yeah. It's brilliant though, like to be able to make shit with your hands. Yeah. Like it's so We've become so removed from it in modern society. Yeah, we have. It's so gratifying. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, it brings a, a definite sense of 
of pride and joy to see something made beautifully mm. as well as practical. Mm. I mean, that's why I, I tend to like cooking is because I get to use knives. You know, cutting up stuff and using tools, working with your hands, yeah. is very for me, is very gratifying. It is. You it's know, extremely gratifying. Pushing a pen, clicking a mouse, it's highly overrated. You look, you look, there are people who are who are needed for that job and somebody needs to yeah. do it and they are incredible at what they can do, mm. for sure. But I think for, for people like you, yourself and I, you and myself, yeah. you and I, mm. yes, sorry, English, wow. That's, Stone and sober. Yeah, <laughs> hectic. Um, but I think for people like us, Mm. It is uh, gratifying and it's it's inspiring as well. Mm. And it's also inspiring when you can look at another man's work and you can understand what he's done and why he's done it. Yeah, and you can almost see the thinking behind the process. You can, that's, that's for sure. That's yeah. for sure. Um, look, you can't really get entirely in their head, but mm. you can look at certain things and be like, okay, he did this like this and the mm. flow, like everything flows, the hand mm. looks good, the mm. the point or the focus of beauty is is mm. a very interesting as, aspect yeah. to discuss because it really does it really does make a knife stand out from anything else mm. and that's massively important mm. you know you've you've got to have a clean not necessarily clean all the time i mean it's mm. dependent on the style of blades that you make and yeah. so on but, but if you can have a blade that looks like there was thought behind it, i mean if you look at uh, someone like wayne morgan's knives he's got a very distinct style um they they look very rough but still even though because he's got forge finished he does a lot of etched finishes yeah with dark woods and things yeah and although it looks so to say rough it still looks clean the yes. lines are still clean sure the flow is still clean very very much like uh, jason knight's choppers mm. even mm. it's 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 a rough finish mm. but it's a planned rough finish and, and it's not like the guy was like oh i'm gonna crack this out there's a hectic convex edge on it mm. and it's just it's just a heat treated glorified piece of steel mm. now, i mean even on jason knight's on his on his like big choppers the grind lines are still crisp Mm. You know, the plunge mm. lines. Mm. Um, exactly. They are still crisp. And that's why I'm saying it looks clean in its mm. roughness. Yeah. So the lines the lines of it still flow. Yes. They're still crisp and clean. Yes, yes, yes. yes but yes. although it's maybe got a forged texture on there, mm. it so or the There's nothing wrong with that. Mm. There's nothing wrong with that. If you, But it takes skill to pull off a decent forged finish. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm still not quite there, but I'm getting there. I don't think I'm there well sure. you still do vegan so well i mean like i've i've tried to forge a couple of blades but mm. man it's it's difficult in the beginning to develop that correlation between the hammer and where your steel's at on the mm. anvil like and it, it's, it's to line that up and to hit exactly where you're wanting to hit mm. right now for me it's mm. not easy well it's 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 it comes down to practice so or time behind the anvil yeah Exactly. So you can watch as many YouTube videos as you want, mm -hmm. um, and this is spend time. You have to get after it yourself. And and I mean, I learned to move steel because 
I mean, the first knives I forged were out of um, quite thin, quite thin um, truck leaf spring. It was only about sixteen millimeters thick. Jesus, <laughs> that's thick as fuck. It is, yeah. It's like Shit. I think it's five eighths or something, but it, it was thick steel. So I learned how to move steel quickly, um, and then also watching guys like uh, on YouTube, like Joey and Alex, that that know how, that they've studied under Brian Brazil. So the blacksmithing style, learning to move that material quickly, yeah, um, helps a lot, and also learning how to move it. Sure. Um, if you want to, how to use? I mean. Joey does it a lot of work with uh, uh, a rounding hammer, but he also use, uses straight beams, cross beams. But <clears throat> when he's using a rounding hammer, he'll angle with a flat side. You'll he'll angle a hammer, and you'll use the edge of it like a fuller. Like if he's hitting on the edge of the anvil, yeah. instead of doing half on half off with a round side, if he really wants to move it. You'll hit with the edge of the flat side, so he uses it like a fuller on the edge, so you can move it extremely quickly. But you've got to be careful because um, you can go too deep quite quick. Yeah. Uh, but it, that comes also to time behind the animal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean that that Joey guy does everything by hand. I mean, Crazy. and he and he works with like fucking two inch pieces of steel. He had a him and a, a striker work down a piece of. Um, Two inch wrought iron. Okay, wrought iron soft, but still to work down two inches, even with a striker by hand, is is hard work. And if you know for how, sure. if you know how to use your anvil and your hammer properly, you can make it easier for yourself. Yes. Um, yeah. That's why there's so much skill behind making these things, and I don't mm. think a lot of people, I don't think a lot of people appreciate mm. the skill. That somebody like a, a blacksmith or a bladesmith mm. has, mm. because you have you have come to know the material that you're working with mm. to such an intimacy that you can mm. move it not randomly but in a certain way to develop mm. a very clean forged knife. Mm. And I mean, if you look at um, if you look at uh, Guys, that where was it going to go? Forge finish. If you look at guys that that actually forge their knives when they forge the bevels and things in, yeah, man, it looks neat. If yeah. if if they know what they're doing, yeah, uh, you you basically just have to touch it on the grinder. Yeah, and for me, why I like forging knives is I don't like cutting up and throwing away good steel. True, true. You know, it's it's. For me, it's sacrilege to to cut up a piece of you know highly engineered steel and then throw it away. True, because for stock removal, you do that a lot. Yeah, and There's I mean, a lot of that. look for stainless steel, it's not really forgeable. There's some stainless steels that you can forge for knife making. Sure, but you know, it's a it's a precision made steel. So if you're gonna forge yeah. it, you can you can fuck it, fuck up the microstructure, yeah. Um, okay. And uh, so there you you almost have to do stock removal, but yeah. that's I also prefer carbon steels because they've got more character. Sure. I mean, you, when you're forging, you get an intimate knowledge of that steel. Mm. You build up a relationship. So I know sure. if I'm forging fifty one sixty, 
I know how it feels. Yes. I can pretty much, there's another steel they use in South Africa for, for leaf spring sometimes, which is EN45, which is a slightly lower carbon content. It works for springs. You can make a knife out of it, but it doesn't have the edge holding of 5160. Mm, mm. But from the way it scales and the way it forges, I can tell it apart from 5160. Really? No, because I learned on 5160. Sure. Um, and it's also a very forgiving steel, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you can you can just about be blind and deaf and still harden it. Mm. Uh, 5160. It's it's a very very forgiving steel. Obviously, if you want to get the most out of it, do you mm. use uh, kilns and things like that? Sure. But does does um, does sub zero quenching have an effect on? A, a, I believe a lot of steels have a beneficial effect from sub zero quenching or cryogenics. Mm. Now, sub zero quenching and cryogenics are two different things, but. Uh, the question is like some of them are minuscule and some of them are quite a lot. If you look at the, the stainless steels, they definitely benefit from a sub-zero, wouldn't say quench, but a sub-zero uh, temper. Mm. So uh, things like N690, M390, whatever, uh, as soon as you harden it or you, you quench it in oil, before you temper it in an oven at 200 degrees, yes. you do a sub-zero quench. Yes. Or get it to, you got to go at least below minus 70 degrees Celsius. Yeah. Um, and what that actually does is it stabilizes the martensite in the structure. It stabilizes it. Yeah. So you gain actually about one or two rockwell. Okay. Um, on your less complex steels, like your plain carbons, I don't think there is really a benefit to sub-zero. Okay. I'm not educated enough, but I don't, from what I've read, it doesn't Or it seem, might be very minuscule. It's probably very minuscule. But um, the more complex your steel becomes, then the, the more he complex your heat treatment process becomes. So heat treatment sure. is, the heat treatment process is the full normalizing, healing yes. if you do that, yes. uh, the quench, the temper. Yes, um, that's that's the heat treatment process. Yeah. So it is a process because there are multiple steps in this mm. process. So, yeah, sometimes I, I in the past I got confused and I thought that just meant uh, quenching the blade. Yeah, make it really the, the blade, but English. Yeah, I used to think that it was just quenching the blade, mm. and um, I found out much later on that uh, it was actually this entire process. Mm. Yeah. And, I mean, when you forge blades especially, um, especially in carbon steels, I don't know so much about stainless steels. Sure. Or I don't know enough about them to, sure. to comment on them. But I know carbon steel blades definitely benefit from um, thermocycling or normalizing them. Yeah. Because when you forge, um, you disrupt the grain structure. Yeah, you, 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 you're putting stresses in the crystalline structure of the steel. Yeah, and now what happens then is when you normalize, because you're at a lower, if you go to a high, too high a temperature, then you get grain growth, so the grains yes. get bigger. Yes. But now once you forge it and you go to the normalizing temperatures, what happens is those stresses cause the grains to refine and go smaller. So you're actually yes. making the grain size smaller in the steel. Yes, isn't it also there's a process called recrystallization? Yeah, but I don't know enough about it. To talk. Okay. No. But, yeah, the recrystallization, there's certain temperatures where that happens. Yes. 
Now, if you want to grow the grain to make it larger, you take it to a higher temperature normally. And if you want it to refine it to make it smaller, you take it to lower temperatures. Mm. Um, because what seven hundred and twenty degrees? It depends on the steel. If but it's normally, something like fifty-one sixty, for example, you normally start at a higher temperature. So you normally start at your quench temperature. So what's it? Eight fifty, call it. Mm. And then your next cycle will be at about eight hundred. So it's just over non-magnetic. And then um, your third one will be at the point where it loses magnetism, which is about 720 degrees Celsius. Okay. So each time you go a little bit lower. Sure. Um, and you start getting what they call, uh, especially if you, on your last cycle, if you put it in something like vermiculite or perlite or ash mm. or something, mm. the you, you do what they call... Uh, spheroidal um, annealing, mm-hmm. which makes the steel nice and soft, so it's easy to to finish <clears> it <throat> off and stuff like that. Sure, and it also makes it more reliable. Mm. More, you can you can dramatically change your your chances of getting a severe warp mm. in the blade by yes, by by getting a more uniform. Mm. A crystal structure within the in the steel. Yeah, because when you're hammering it, you you disrupting the crystals, you're making them angry and stuff. Yeah. Um. And even though you take it above that normalizing temperature when you go to quench it, it doesn't give the steel time to re- release the stresses in it. If you go, if yes. you if you take a forge blade and you harden and you harden it straight away, it's probably going to warp. Because yeah. there's all uneven stresses in sure. it. But if you normalize it, mm. so you heat it up to a temperature yeah. and you allow it to cool slowly, yes. it allows the steel to like sort of restructure itself. Um, and if you put it in vermiculite or, or perlite or something like that, it also slows that process down enough that mm. the grain structures don't grow too quickly. No, that, no it, it, it makes the, the grain finer, but it also... Um, because you're doing it so slowly, there's less chance of there being any residual martensite. Okay. And martensite is the hard stuff. Yeah. So you go from. And austenite is. Austenite is the te- is the temperature where it changes structure. I don't know, but uh, I can't remember the technical. But austenizing is the, the austenizing temperature is the temperature that you harden at. So above that, you have almost pure. Um, austenite. Yeah. And now when you quench, between austenite and perlite is mainly uh, martensite. And martensite is the harder form than austenite. Okay. Sure. Oh, yeah, and it's also harder than the perlite. Austenite is where it's at that... Now, when you've quenched the blade, I think only... I'm not sure about this, so don't quote me. But after you've quenched the blade, you get something called ferrite, which is a combination between. Yeah, there is. Um, I, I can't remember the picture. It's something between iron and 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 carbon. A ferrite is ferrite is a, a, a iron and carbon 
Yes. Uh, it's carbon in an iron structure. So Something we'll, like that. In an iron matrix. So you'll have, you get face center cubic and body center cubic mm. or whatever. Mm. Uh, those are the two structures. Okay. But the ferrite is the FEC or whatever the combination is. Okay. That's crazy. I think. But we're probably wrong. But anyway. Let us know, guys, if you guys know anything about this. It would be good to hear. Um, but yeah, I was watching a few videos on on steel and, and how it's processed from when it's, um, mm. you know, being made, mm. smelted, and then mm. put into molds and things like mm. that. And, and it's incredible to have each step of the process explained to you and have um, sort of um, diagrams mm. that show you exactly what's happening in the steel. Mm. And then they show you like the grain structure in things like, like bad steel, mm. good steel for a certain application mm. and the crystalline structure within the steel as mm. well, which is really, really, really cool too. And I mean, if you look at something like uh, wood steel, which is what the yeah. original supposed Damascus was supposed made, Damascus, yeah. that is got that was a good material because it's got graphite chains in it. Okay. That's what gives it the pattern. So it's not a really a homogenous steel as we know it today. When you say homogenous steel, just give me an example. Of that. So all the carbon is dissolved in the steel structure. If, if it were homogenous, that, that would be the case. That would be the case. Yeah. But now in something like root steel, oh. because of the impurities and stuff, you get these uh, graphite chains. So you get chains of carbon in the steel structure. Crazy. Mm. Now, would that would that be an inferior steel? Obviously, by today's standards, yeah, maybe, be, yes. Yeah. But, I mean, for that time, was that a very good steel? It was a good say? thing because a lot of the earlier blades weren't actually steel. They were more iron. Uh. So they didn't have a higher... A high carbon content okay and they only figured out how to get carbon into the steel later on okay so, so what time frame are you talking about there? i can't remember but the first the first higher carbon steels were um made by what they call blister steel i think it is blister steel so you would take thin sheets of low carbon or, or iron and you would pack them in layers with a carbon-rich material in between. Oh, yes. You were telling so you me have about a whole lot of these sheets stacked up in this thing. And then you would yeah. heat it up to, I think it was about 1800 Fahrenheit. I can't remember the degree Celsius. Jeepers. So then what happens is the, the, what's it, the, the carbon gets uh, absorbed into the iron. Uh, sure. Through... I can't remember the name of it, but there's, it's also got to be in an oxy, oxygen-free environment. Otherwise, the carbon burns off. Crazy. So, what they would do is they'd make all these thin sheets, um, and the carbon would dissolve into the steel. And because the sheets were thin, then when you forge weld them together after that, um, you start getting a more homogeneous uh, carbon steel. Don't the uh, Japanese swordsmiths still uh, use clay to weld up the tamahagane steel? Uh, 
I think it's a type. Of, I don't know if it's a clay or, or an ash, or if it's a some sort of ash mixed with. Um, I think it's silica sand or quartz sand. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, but the reason they put clay around the thing with leaves is to stop the oxygen getting in. That yes, they were using it as like a. Um, They'd make up like a. a, a a they were using like a, like a flux, basically. Yeah, but they would make up like a sandwich. They'd pack the blocks of steel yes. together, yes. and then they would wrap it with yes. um, almost like leaves, but it's like a very fibrous type leaf and this this clay, mm. and that was to stop oxygen getting to where the steel is. But although they use a, 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 I believe some of them also use paper. Mm, probably rice paper, but it's it's more to wrap the thing to hold it together. Yes, um, yes, yes, yes. When it's in the f for the first stage, when it's in the when they put it into the charcoal forge, yeah. So it doesn't fall apart because they don't have they didn't have arc, arc welders in the time of the samurai. Sure, sure. Crazy though, such an iconic sword though. Mm. And I, I would love to make one one day. Seriously, I would love to make one. Yeah, I've got a. a uh, no, it's not a samurai sword. It, it's a it's a wakazashi shaped sword because it's not made of tamagane. Um, yeah, it's not clay hardened and things like yeah, that. Sure. But it's a it's a representation of that shape of sword. Yeah, I call it. Yeah, yeah. I was always disappointed by those ones you bought in the Chinese shops. They were they were so so terrible. It was not even funny. Yeah, they just cram plates mild steel. But it's it's crazy. Mm -hmm. And I've had so many friends over the past be like, "Yeah, check it this, bro. This is my fucking Japanese sword." No, it's made in Hong Kong. Oh, look at the thing. There's no fucking cutting edge on it. Mm. And then he's like, "Yeah, bro, but I I can just grind that." You know, I'm like, oh, but who says it's hard? Yeah, is it more Who than likely it's, it's not hard? hard? Who says it's hardenable steel? Mm. Jeepers creepers. It's probably made out of old number plates and tin cans. Oh, dude, like, it's such a waste of time. Mm. Like, if your purpose for it is only aesthetic, it's still a shit cheap way to go about it. Mm. Rather still get the real deal and put it yeah. on your wall. But then I get it. But it's not a, it's not a usable thing. No, it's not usable. And, it's, and that's not the point. Like, you're not mm. going to use a... Uh, you know, a, Authentic a, a type yeah, Japanese or katana. A, a katana, or, yeah, yeah. That's that's the word I was looking for. You're not going to be using a katana, um, but that's not the point. The point is, it's usable. Mm. Mm. You know, and it's a very iconic sword with mm. an extreme amount of discipline and history behind it, and it's 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 incredible. Mm. It's incredible. It's just, it's for me. It's my favorite sword. I like it as well, although I don't. I don't think I'm at that point where I can do it justice by making one. If that makes sense. Sure. Um, it would I, just be a shitty copy of a Japanese sword. Dude, don't 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 underrate yourself. <laughs> don't un underrate yourself, bro. Mm. Draw the fucking thing you want to make, and then mm. crack at it. Even if it's your own rendition of it. Yeah, I mean, uh, Jason Knight did because uh, he likes. Um, the Japanese styled things. Yeah. So he, but he made a Jason Knight styled 
uh, katana out of a what? out of a leaf spring, but like an apocalyptic. It wasn't a katana; it was like a wakazashi, but a apocalyptic type zombie slayer, okay. Jason Knight version with mm. a very dark edge. Um, That's awesome. And that he, he awesome. did a he, he ground it and he finished it and then he did a a, a sandblast and etched finish. Oh wow! Yeah, he's got a video uh, series on it on, yeah, on YouTube. That must be cool. But it was and his son did the the handle wrap because mm. it still got the traditional. Uh, That's awesome. That's so cool. I love it when people take inspiration from it mm. and they put their own twist on it. Yeah. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah, man. Um, there's there's a lot of things that I want to play with. There's a lot of things that I want to play with, but mm. you've you you've you can't stop dreaming of making the things that you want to make. But you've also got to realize that sometimes you need to do the basic things first. Mm. You have to, to do. The- you have to do. You have to have a foundation to work off. Yeah, of. and files before grinders, that type of mm, thing. You know, mm. you got to serve your time. Uh, as 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 an appy, basically, mm. you've got to serve your time as an appy. And my work mm. over the time that I've been working with Jack, my work has improved so much already. Yeah, you can almost make a knife. I can almost make a knife, <laughs> almost. But. Um, <clears throat> I, I do rely on Jack a lot, mm. but at the same time, I try to learn from everything that he tells me mm. and start developing an understanding about mm. all these things. And uh, building your own process for flow in your own style. Yes, yes. Your and own I mean, process is a very important topic, really. Mm. And in the old days of, of tradesmen and things like that, you did uh, what they considered your apprenticeship. Yes. Once you passed your apprenticeship, you were only considered then as a journeyman. Yes. And no, normally where they got the word journeyman from is once you finished, you packed your tools and you traveled, building on your experience until you were at a level where you were considered a master. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. So, um, you know, a lot of the apprenticeship programs, you got you got stuck with a master, not a journeyman. The master would teach the apprentice. Once the apprentice had passed his apprenticeship, then he would become a journeyman. And then he would go and work and learn more based on the foundation he had built. Sure. That's why the the American Bladesmiths Society, they've got their three classes of membership. So you've got your apprenticeship stage. Then once you've done a certain amount of time, you can submit to pass your journeymanship. Then you become a journeyman smith. And then after a certain amount of time, then you get to submit for master smith. Yeah. That's why they, that different ranking system mm. came in. And that back, relates back to the old um, craft or tradesman yes. uh, thing. I think that should be implemented a lot more today. Mm. For sure. I mean, like, and keep it at a level where it's, like, if it's not good enough, it's not good enough. Like, it mm. needs to mean something. Mm. You can't just hand somebody their their uh, journeyman smith or mm. yeah, it's it's and like, I mean not that not that I'm saying that's what's happening, mm. but I'm saying in the trades that we have available, mm. like you know back in the day, tool and die maker, and I suppose that's still a thing. I don't it, know. It is still a thing, but they're not the same quality it's as not, what they used to be. But that's the thing. That's mm. the thing. So I think that should be improved because it in the. What happened is they moved away from the apprenticeship 
journeymanship mastersmith or master craftsman to apprenticeship and then you just then you're a qualified tradesman then you can go and do all the work but it, you can't actually do all the work no. so no you you had they, they've dropped the journeyman portion of it mm. if that makes sense that's that's not clever and and it it's not just knife making it's it's all sort of uh or calling trades or crafts or things like that yeah yeah it's um and and why i wanted to get uh, what i actually wanted to say is is the reason you set a standard is so that you have to meet that standard in order to move forward mm. so if you look at like um uh what's it the navy seals yeah um all of the seals almost all of them have no problem who you put through the program it can be man woman non-binary black white indian whatever nationality yeah as long as they meet the standard they are considered sure professional sure which and, is a great way to look at it and the thing is that a lot of people talk about in in the navy seals of hell week and buds buds is only the first first phase of seal training yeah so that's okay. basic underwater demolition that's where buds comes from crazy so it's just the basic so it's water competency after buds then you start getting into more technical stuff then you start doing the you know all the the scuba and rebreather and the special weapons mm. and the tactics and all those type of things sure. that comes after it but yeah the purpose of buds is to cull the herd i also do buds no, but that's a different bud. <laughs> you also call the herd. <laughs> but yeah. and, and at the same time, that's that's the purpose of the apprenticeship is to weed out the people who are not really interested. Sure, absolutely. Um, and then the journeymanship, you can't skip that period to mm -mm. Be, just to become master. You you've got to put in the time. Absolutely. Uh, and I think that's why the ABS. I think, I think the breakdown is either three or four years for your apprenticeship before you can submit for journeymanship sure and then i think it's another six or seven years before you can submit for masters really yeah but niels is a journeyman smith for the abs yeah he's he should have submitted last year already but he wasn't ready for master smith master smith because remember beginning of last year he had a he had that pinched nerve in his neck so his oh, shoulder right. and he couldn't hold so he couldn't really work right so he couldn't submit last year and then this year fucking Hong Kong flu or yeah. uh, COVID hit so he couldn't submit this year so he yeah. will submit mid next year okay well I think you will get it for mm. sure I think you'll get it and the thing is it's it's like that'll be a huge flex yeah because there's this you're a master smith there's only I think there's only two master smiths in South Africa Shit. that's Kevin and his wife Heather who is actually a, she's retired because she can't her wrists are fucked oh, i think a horse bit too or i don't know but Fuck. from being farrier work so she yeah. can't really that's why she's retired but she can still teach yeah um does she still forge no she can't she can't swing a hammer yeah um well that's still a massive contribution mm. if you can teach and i think that's if what she really you know you get to that stage i think where that your joy comes from 
creating beautiful things, but also teaching people. Absolutely. And seeing, tracking their progress. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at John Walker, he's just become a guild member. Mm. And he went and did the course with Evan and Keller. They built up a, a, a good relationship. And, you know, before he sent his nose into submission, he sent them to Kevin first. Because mm. I think Kevin might even be on the, on he's on the, the, the committee, but I don't, even, I don't know if he's on the judging committee. Mm. Um, but he sent his knives to Kevin first and said, please tell me, are they good enough to make the guild standard? Because the guild standard isn't what the best knife makers make. Sure. It's a, it's a level of quality and they judge you according to the level of quality they ex, that is acceptable yes. to be in the guild. Sure. And talking on the guild, when I, when I, reminds me of what Jack said to me when, when I told him I want to join the guild. It's like, so that means you're never going to make a shit knife again. Yeah. When you think about it, it's actually true. Yeah, absolutely. It's so a huge responsibility. It is. It's a huge responsib responsibility, but the thing is, that should be your ambition in any case. Yeah. And it's like that story you told the other day of that, that guy who, who, how he got so much woodworking done and he said he does it like his life depends on it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you've got to find something that works for you, that motivates you, for mm -hmm. sure. For me, it's having a blunt at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> um... <coughs> Yeah, but it's it's good. I mean, and for me, it's more about putting a piece of me into into an object, a tool. That sounds so. Or sexual. a piece of art. I know it sounds sexual, but it's you know really every piece sexual. of every every, <laughs> every blade that's gone out of my shop has got a piece of me in it. Sure. Yeah. Definitely. It's, it's like I, when I get when I finish the knife and I'm ready to send. It's like sometimes I, I don't want to send them. Yeah. Because yeah. you know been paid for and everything but it's like you almost it's a piece of me sure i yeah. get that i get yeah. that it's you know this this is something i was discussing a little bit on our last mm. podcast but um i feel like if you think about connectivity mm. okay now when i say connectivity what i mean is like Let's go back to like prehistoric times. Mm. Okay. People had an extreme understanding of what materials they could use from the earth mm. to make cutting implements and tools, to make needles, to utilize natural materials, to make mm. baskets and birch bark canoes and mm. all sorts of incredible things, musical mm. instruments. Tools. Yeah, mm. it was it was medicine. Medicine. Mm. That it, it was it was crazy. It's mm. crazy, but because we don't live like that anymore, it's, it's mm. it doesn't seem like a big thing. Mm. So they had a very intimate relationship with a lot of materials, yeah. leather, he like natural cordage, mm. um, all these things. Mm. And uh, I feel like today there's we remove ourselves a lot from how various things are made. Yeah. Because we we just not exposed to it. Mm. Um, you don't need to know how your food was processed and and mm. you got this chicken on your table. Mm. But it's insightful to learn more about it. Mm. And I think the more advanced we've got, the further away from nature we've got. Absolutely, absolutely. And this is the thing 
that I think is so cool about knife making, although it, yes, it's a modern steel, it's modern mm. materials that you're working with. Yes, you're working with woods and bone and things like that, but you get a very uh, intimate understanding of how a cutting tool works. Mm. So like a puko cuts differently to a chopper, cuts sure. differently to a chef's knife. So, sure, absolutely. And it's learning to get get the, the, the properties out of the steel you want for that purpose. Yes. Absolutely. Or selecting the right steel or material. So say yeah. you, you're doing a knife that's going to maybe, I don't know, you want, uh, your, when you're selecting your handle material, you'll select it for not just its, its character or its beauty, you would accept it, you would, English, you would select it for a specific purpose. So like you wouldn't go and use like a poisonous wood for a kitchen knife. Sure. Although I did, I've done it as well. But okay. it's not. It's Tamburi is not. It isn't going to kill you. It'll just give you the shits. <laughs> I can't. I'm shitting my brains out. Sorry, Megan. <laughs> but the thing is, oh man, the thing is, uh, once you start putting oils on it, yeah. So like tongue oil or, or linseed oil or something like that, they polymerize in the wood. Yeah. So they turn to a plastic. Okay. It's a natural plastic. Yeah. But that also seals the stops the oils from leaking out of the Okay, right. Right, mm. that makes sense. Yeah. I don't know, like making knives is very cool. Mm. I guess we're gonna stop it right there for now because I feel like we need coffee. Mm. And I think our food is ready. Really? Oh my stomach is growling. Excellent. Let's uh, stop it there and we'll come back with see you guys in a few minutes. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Open Hearthcast. Find us on Instagram at Open Hearthcast and we'll see you again real soon.